Financial decisions. You face them at every turn. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel like you might be missing something or making a mistake? Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner at Step Right Capital Planning. Welcome to Step Right with Lynn. The title of our show today is Creation Matters, and my guest is the Reverend Canon Linda Nixon. So whose responsibility is it to conserve the natural environment? The Anglican Church includes in their mission to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. My guest today, Canon Linda Nixon, is rector of St. James Anglican Church in Cambridge, Ontario, and is a founder and co-chair of the Anglican Diocese of Huron's Enviro Action Committee. Prior to ordination in 2005, Canon Nixon was asked by her bishop to start an environmentally focused committee. This group was created to nurture and facilitate the turning of creation care goals into practical challenges that could be addressed and resolved in the parishes, homes, and communities of Huron. Through a grassroots approach, Enviro Action has achieved gentle but effective change across the diocese. This past year has been pivotal as the annual synod, that's the AGM, of the diocese theme was creation. Over the years, with this grassroots approach, they've encouraged local actions that were attainable. The more recent focus has turned to a faith-based advocacy. The Huron Diocese comprises over 200 churches stretching from Windsor and area to Port Dover and sweeping north to Tobermory. Good morning, Reverend Linda. Good morning, Lynn. When I first became interested in having you as a guest, it was that I thought it was interesting that the Anglican Church had as a part of the Church's mission to safeguard the integrity of creation and sustain and renew the life of the earth. Now, since that point, I've learned that it's far bigger than just the Anglican Church. Tell us what you've been doing in Toronto this week. Oh, this past week was fantastic as my co-chair and myself took part in the March Jobs, Justice, and Climate, which was a wonderful gathering of many like-minded folks. From the faith group's perspective, we were all looking at the environmental issues that are surrounding us each and every day. So it was a gathering of Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, Jewish, Baha'i, and our indigenous brothers and sisters as we talked about what it was about the environment and creation that we were concerned about and how we were as individual faith groups approaching ways and solutions that we could share with our congregants and the people we serve. So it was absolutely fascinating. And to be part of something so historic where all kinds of groups of people came with a variety of justice issues, not mm-hmm. just the environment, was fascinating. There was over 10,000 people there. There were 10,000 uh, there. Wow. What's really important to grasp is that the environment is a social justice issue because as the environment changes, 
so many people are affected by it, losing their their land, their their livelihoods. It's just atrocious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, in in Canada and North America, there's a lot of times we're really not aware of the impact of certain things that we purchase, and we're supporting some things that sometimes we don't know we're we're supporting. You know, we just pick things off the shelf. We're not always aware of what it has taken to create what we're consuming. That's absolutely true. It is such a complex and overlapping issue because in order to produce, well, even just uh, our clothing, it does involve fossil fuels, oil, Mm -hmm. petroleum product. You know, so we can't stop buying our clothes, but we can certainly look at different ways of of manufacturing things as well, different Mm -hmm. renewable and sustainable resources. Like there's been a a movement towards bamboo, for instance. Right, Uh, yeah. You know, cotton-like clothing made from bamboo. So there's a variety of ways if we become more socially conscious and aware of what we are eating, what we are wearing, what we are using, where it's come from, what the cost of that is as far as human resources, as far as natural resources, then we can start to reduce our consumption. Mm -hmm. So it is a matter of awareness for sure. Right. This event that happened in Toronto, how far-reaching is this movement? Is it a Canadian thing? Well, there were people there from across Canada. Uh, It did attract attention in the U.S. as well, I believe, because we had Jane Fonda join us. But it definitely was a national movement in the sense that people came from far and wide to join Mm -hmm. us. So it wasn't just localized in Toronto or Ontario. Hopefully it did catch the imagination and the attention of other places as well. So how would something like this ever go from a concept to actually seeing representatives from so many groups come together? It's not like somebody had an email list that would target people from these different faith groups. Well, it's just it was a matter of a huge networking, and I believe that it started with Laura from Divest Waterloo, and then Faith in the Common Good, uh, Dr. Lucy Cummings, who was my contact with the march. So it was just an incredible networking as far as the faith communities were concerned. And then I would only imagine that the same would be true for all of the unions that were represented, all of the other socially conscious groups that were involved in the march. Mm-hmm. So. You know, they tell two friends and so forth and so on. Right, right, okay. Now, we're often led to believe that to have a strong economy that we have to give up something as far as protection of the environment. What is the position that this group would take on that? Well, I've heard a lot of chatter about the fact that it's going to create an economic collapse if we targeting divestment seriously in the fossil fuel industry. And I've I've been on the receiving end of arguments that we can't we can't just go whole hog at that. And I respect that perspective, but I think what we t- 
tend to forget is that there's a huge economic possibility in sustainable energy as well. Mm-hmm. The research and development of storage for solar or um, other alternative wind energies, and I know that each of those come with their own criticism as well. So there's a lot to learn, but economically, as far as, well, I can only speak for myself, I see that there's jobs and there's industry to be explored and uh, grow in the alternative energy force. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that part of the message is here, too, is that we're looking for a win-win solution because, you know, when when we're saying jobs, justice, and the climate... It's also saying that we want jobs, and there's, a, you know, a certain way that we're addressing a lot of different issues on this. If we say that, you know, that we're committed to having jobs, then we're also uh, addressing poverty to a degree as well, right? Absolutely, and and that is why I say the climate, environmental issues, are a moral and a social justice concern because with the decimation of different environments becomes very clear that poverty rises and all kinds of social and economic disasters are just down the road. It was very interesting to meet Bishop Solo from Amazonia. So what we are hearing from other countries is that our Canadian mining companies Okay, so I'm not striking against our mining companies in any way. But some of their practices decimate rainforest, decimate Mm -hmm. the area around communities, which therefore takes away livelihood, Mm -hmm. takes away their, their food production. And so small communities are just absolutely decimated by some of the practices of mining, of any other kind of resource mm-hmm. uh, extraction. The palm oil is, is another one that, you know, I've heard that similar things happen because it's a matter of, you know, they do decimate, as you said, the rainforest to create the palm oil. And that's something that is in our food. It's in our shampoos. It's really in a lot of products that we consume here. And, oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah, And that's the, the complex nature of the beast is that how do we reduce our consumption of these products in order to find sustainable ways of producing said product like palm oil? There are palm companies or extraction companies that do have renewable and sustainable palm growth. Oh, right? okay. So, so it is just a matter of being aware, of being intentional, of mm-hmm. finding the information so that you could tap into products that are being produced by sustainable growth. Right, right. A lot of it is, I think, okay, cause again, I'm speaking for myself, is an awareness of our company practices how can we change our company practices so that they're only using renewable and sustainable resources? Right. Yes. And and I guess to demand a little bit more as a consumer so that you know what you're consuming is coming from a responsible company 
or an irresponsible company that, that is bullying the people in the countries that they're dealing with. Exactly. So, And I think the word divestment scares an awful lot of people, but divestment doesn't have to be holus bolus. It has to, in my way of thinking, it is targeting those companies, as you say, who aren't using best practices. Mm-hmm you know, to encourage them to look at the way that they are doing their business that might be more holistic, not only for their company, but for the earth and the people around them. Mm -hmm. On that note, we'll go to a quick break now, Reverend Linda, and then we'll come back to talk more about these issues. Okay, thank you. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? What if you could make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible? Charitable giving is often presented as something you do when you're extremely wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and designing your contribution at every step around the issues important to you. Learn how clarity about what is important to you gives every aspect of life new meaning. Tune in to Step Right with Lynn regularly. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Separate with Lynn. I'm your host, Lynn Wedham. Today, my guest is the Reverend Canon Linda Nixon, and we've been learning how protection of the environment has become a matter of concern and action for faith groups. So, in this Jobs, Justice, and the Climate, it's rather unique in that these groups are starting by looking at what they agree upon and not on what they disagree on. And and I would think that it's beginning to show people how much we have in common instead of focusing on our differences. That's a theme that resonates really strongly with me, and I'd like you to speak just a little bit about how unique this event was. Well, it was the first of its kind, as far as I'm aware, where faith groups came together in in a common interest for the climate and for environmental issues, where unions and focus groups came together with their concerns about jobs and uh, wage, making sure that living wage is a sustainable and Mm -hmm. probable solution to unemployment or underemployment. So the way it came together is is still a little bit of mystery for me, but (laughs) it definitely speaks of a willingness of people to look at the common ground, as you're alluding, because even the demonstrators that I heard were talking about, you know, immigration and Mm. rights and hopes and dreams of, of immigrants, and let's face it, we're all immigrants at some point. Mm-hmm. And so that was interesting. One of the chants that I took great delight in was, this is what democracy looks like. Mm-hmm. We had people of every age and faith and ability, social status, economic status. There wasn't any area of our Canadian society I believe, that wasn't represented in that march. Wow. And for a person like myself, that was a very beautiful thing. Right. And to hear the chant, this is what democracy looks like. 
the voices of all of us together was really powerful. Now, we didn't hear a whole lot of this from mainstream media. Why do you think that was? Why aren't they paying attention? And why didn't we hear this message clearly when we had a huge number of people like that together? Why do you think it's so difficult to get this message out? Well, I think, unfortunately, the media's attention goes to the celebrity, not the little guy. Now, there is an online article on the Toronto Star from the Toronto Star. The author is Nancy White. Okay. And four of her little interviews made it into the Star on Monday, I believe. Okay. Okay. But there is 12 in total. Oh, okay. okay. And they're online. I guess you could Google Jobs, Justice, Climate, Nancy White, Toronto Star. <laughs> okay. And you will see the 12 interviews that she did. Okay, However, that'd be very interesting. Yeah, and, and so those are the, the voices of just some random participants mm-hmm. and why they marched, which is much more of a human interest story than what was actually produced in the paper. And I think mm-hmm. what happens, and I was pondering this this morning, that one celebrity voice in the media is more powerful than ten to 15,000 average voices. <laughs> oh, dear. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, you know, I just thought, hmm, that's very mm-hmm. interesting. It's a yeah. very interesting commentary on how we do things well, in our society. There is a little bit of values going on there as well, well right? I just found that very interesting. I'm still pondering that thought. Yeah, so. yeah. So tell us more. What did you see? What did you hear? And how did it feel? It felt fantastic. I've had people ask me, did I feel threatened or was it scary? No, there was never any point in time during the whole day that I felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You're in a crowd of 10,000 people and I felt comfortable. Like it was amazing. I would do it again in a heartbeat. Awesome. Um, It was delightful to meet all kinds of characters. (laughs) And those characters were meeting another character, too. (laughs) They were meeting you as well. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. But, I mean, I do take great delight in all people. So it was a real privilege to meet so many wonderful people Uh from every corner. It was was just fantastic. So I think that the music and the noise and some of the political posturing gets a little annoying. But when Mm -hmm. we started marching, everybody was just one. It was just a flow of water, a river of water going down the street. And it was really quite powerful for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's so many issues related to this topic of jobs, justice, the climate. You know, I think there's many areas where people of faith really do need to get together to come with some solutions that do fit everybody. So I think it is quite a unique and needed thing that's happening there. Well, and that's true. My day on Sunday after the march culminated in iftar, which is the Muslim breaking of the fast during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. We were invited as the faith group to a local Islamic center 
to... This to was in in, Toronto? This was in Toronto. Okay. And to break the fast, to partake in iftar. And mm-hmm. it, it was an incredible blessing to be there. And there were, again, we gathered as the faith community, so Buddhist, Christian, Jewish, Islamic, Muslims. So it was an absolute delight. So were all of those people meeting in a mosque, Linda? Yes. And so we listened to presentations. Uh, I was one of the presenters that Uh evening. There were six presentations of what basically what we're doing in our faith community. So I was really taken by the Buddhist and uh, Muslim presenters in the sense that their projects that they are doing within their community at the Buddhist temple, for example, are striving to achieve zero garbage. And Mm. to understand what that means, this temple feeds hundreds of people. Wow. And they are looking at ways to continue offering this ministry, but having as little impact on the environment as possible. Wow. And they're achieving it. We achieved uh, something similar at our own synod this past year that uh, you mentioned in the introduction, in that we had five to six hundred people partaking in a barbecue on the lawn of our cathedral, mm-hmm. and the organizers of our synod had found this company that would do the recycling for us. So after five or six hundred people had eaten this wonderful lot of food and such, there was half a bag of garbage, one half of a bag for five to 600 people. Now, okay, so my first thought is that's not even possible. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. There's a company in London that uh, will go to your event. Yeah. And it worked out to be $1.55 per person. So there is a cost because there's a staff and there's trucks and whatnot. But by the time... Everything that was compostable was composted. There was half a bag of garbage. Wow. We didn't allow. One of my biggest bugaboos is plastic water bottles. Mm -hmm. I get rather tense about that. Tap water, a reusable water bottle. You can get water bottles with filters in them now. There's no excuse for buying plastic Mm -hmm. water bottles. So we had water stations, and the folks brought their own water bottles, or we provided water bottles for them. They were reusable water bottles. Yeah. Right? Even that one issue, we've come so dependent on the convenience of that plastic water bottle. This is not something that's been with us a long time. You know, it's no, it's only no. been in recent years that that we have felt the need to have water bottles. Just the awareness on that one issue of how much plastic is going into the environment because of the water bottles. And I'm not saying that I never drink from a water bottle, but the more aware we are and the more often that that we take a glass bottle. One of our guests sells a glass water bottle and the proceeds from that support mental illness in our community. And there are some win-win solutions out there to some of these issues when we look. But if we look at the, okay, from an economic standpoint, basically you're paying, well, I can't even remember the number. There was a report. You're paying so much more for your water. Like it's astronomical, a thousand times more than if you fill up from your tap, for one. 
Yeah, a thousand times more. It probably is a thousand times more. You're paying so much. You are lining the pocket of huge corporations. You're not guaranteed of the quality of the water that's Mm -hmm. in that water bottle. And just the waste. A lot of people don't properly recycle. I was at a concert a number of years ago that was ironically to make poverty history. You may have remembered that movement, Mm -hmm. Make Poverty History. Anyway, so this charitable concert, thousands of people were gathered there. My girlfriend and I were interested in what would happen when the concert was over. And this was acres of garbage that was left behind from these concert goers. Mm -hmm. And it was predominantly plastic water bottles. Mm -hmm. And we thought, okay, they had recycled bins at the concert, which were full to overflowing, and yet still the ground was covered in these plastic water bottles. And we thought, okay, well, somebody's going to come and clean this up. What it was was a bulldozer (laughs) or a front-end loader Mm -hmm. just went over the grounds and put everything that was left on the grounds in dump trucks, and away it went. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, anyway. Interesting. Yes. We're going to take this moment to go for another break, Linda, and when we come back, we want to hear more about what's happening locally as far as helping the environment. We'll be right back after this message. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner, entrepreneur, educator, and radio show host with a vision of a future where families, neighborhoods, communities, and whole societies support each other. Where each of us lives up to our own potential so we can help others in a substantial way. Where giving back is something we all practice, whether of our time, our expertise, or our finances. You can reach Lynn with your comments or questions at 519-448-3477 or by email at lynn at stepright.ca. That's 519-448-3477. Or by email at lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to today's show called Creation Matters with my guest, Reverend Canon Linda Nixon. So, Reverend Linda, when and why did the Anglican Church make a commitment to the environment? Well, the Anglican Church of Canada adopted what we call the Five Marks of Mission a decade ago plus. And the fifth mark of mission is to strive to safeguard the integrity of creation, sustain and renew the earth. And so, in the introduction, you mentioned that my bishop had asked that I create a committee. And it hasn't been all that easy. Like, I mean, it's been hard work and tenacity Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. kept us going. But the the church itself recognizes that we have a responsibility to creation through our faith in that we are stewards of the earth. And steward means that you have a responsibility take care of something, right? So mm-hmm. when we first started the committee, we we looked at just simple ways that people could involve themselves, people could start realizing that even just little actions will make a difference. And so, you know, we encouraged that whole reduce, recycle, reuse program that was very predominant 10, 15 years ago. 
so they, they changed their light bulbs. They got rid of styrofoam. They looked for biodegradable products non-phosphorus or low-phosphorus detergents when you're doing your dishes and and things like that. So in order to encourage people to enter into those patterns, we developed a green award system in the Anglican Church of Huron, here in Huron, which uh, you just defined the territory. And it was fairly successful. Basically, it was a working tool to help people you know, pinpoint things that they could do to make their buildings more energy efficient, to to minimize uh, their garbage or what they were using. And actually, after after two or three years of doing it just locally here in Huron, that Green Award tool was adopted by the National Church. So the Anglican Church of Canada now has it as green certification, where any of the churches in the Anglican Communion here in Canada can apply for certification, whether they're a light green, a medium green, or a deep green. And so (laughs) so depending on, on what you are actually accomplishing, because what we're trying to do is get that environmental attitude, not only from personal level or a congregational level, but into our liturgy so that our prayers and some of the services that we have are really focused on caring for creation, giving God thanks for the creation and the abundance that is here for us. Which, you know, earlier you mentioned that the indigenous people attended the event in Toronto. You know, that sounds more like them than than our usual prayers at church. Well, and, and you see, and that's why we're changing the prayers. We're changing the liturgy. Liturgy is a very powerful tool in the Anglican Church. As we gather each Sunday or on a special event, that we make sure that we are always keeping creation before us. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what you're talking about is awareness, right? Absolutely. Awareness and, and intention. Mm-hmm. You know, the more thought that we give to the things that we use, the more we're going to be aware of what we can do without. Right. So what I'm hearing is awareness, intention, stewardship, and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, finding ways that we can make a difference too. We gathered at our here on church camp one year and had workshops on giving people the tools and the information that they might need or want to to understand better how they can help the environment. We've gathered groups together and walked down the Thames River in London with the City of London's initiative to to clean up the river. Mm -hmm. A small group of people in a very short period of time gathered seven bags of garbage along the river's edge. Yeah. Um, I do that with my Lions Club. There's a stretch of road that we look after, and it's just Mm -hmm. on the way outside of of Cambridge, and it's just amazing. You'll hit certain spots which are just full of fast food bags and stuff like that. So it's just like they've bought their food in town, and they've gotten so far out, and they've dumped it. You know, when you talk about being responsible, like, that's one little thing, but why are people not responsible enough to hang on to that garbage till they get home? That's a very good question. And then there is the, you know, are the fast food companies making things that are biodegradable and, you know, can they reduce some of the packaging? 
As far as reducing packaging, I guess they're probably not doing too bad a job, but there's probably still some styrofoam there and things that they could address as well. And the products are out there. Like I, I go back to the, the Synod, this company. The plates, the cutlery, and the napkins were yeah. all produced from sugarcane. Okay. So they're 100% biodegradable. Wow. The joke was, <laughs> when I made the announcement that this was going to happen at Synod, I said, you can even eat your dishes. <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't a requirement, right? (laughs) Very high fiber. So their products are out there. And that's, you know, we go back to jobs, justice, and climate. Right. So let's support the company that had the foresight to produce this stuff. And let's get more of them so that the price Mm -hmm. can come down. I think what stops people, too, is the cost of finding that product, right? So... Styrofoam's really cheap, so I'm going to buy yep. a bag of 100 plates for $3 or $4, mm-hmm. um, and it's going to cost me 10 to buy the biodegradable, right? Right. So I think that is part of the stumbling block. But until we have more money diverted into these reusable or um, biodegradable products, then we're always going to have that economic bump. Mm-hmm. Well, one quick solution I would see is we tax the stuff that's hard on the environment that would help to equalize it right there. Yes, I suppose that is uh, one of the ways that they're talking about uh, fossil fuels as well, the carbon tax. Yeah. You know, if you're going to use it, you're going to have to pay more for it. It's very ironic that our hybrid cars are twice as much money as our gas-guzzling cars. Yeah. Now, when you buy one, one thing that I just, became aware of recently is there is a government bit of money that helps with that too. I wouldn't say that it brings that car into, you know, equal cost, but there is something that I was not aware of. It's something, again, that we can research before we purchase. There is a subsidy in there to help a bit with that price, which probably a lot of people don't know. No, no. And, and, uh, I mean, there's always something to learn. (laughs) Always, always. Yeah, something to learn. Another project that I do want to bring to your attention is how we entered into the pollination garden, you know, the crisis with the bees and our pollinators. Maybe you should explain the crisis in case we do have listeners who aren't aware of that as well. So maybe start by describing that. Well, the thought is and the feeling is, is that pesticides, particularly neonics, are creating a crisis in bee production. So a lot of our beekeepers are losing numbers, vast numbers, up to two-thirds of their hives due to the pesticide use that has been going on. And so to help sustain and renew that loss, we needed to consider how to feed these little creatures that are responsible for pollinating everything that we take delight in from our flowers to our food. And so we had a project brought to us by one of our committee members through the London Foundation that he's involved with and encouraged our congregants to start planting plants native to the area that would attract bees, butterflies, wasps, whatever, because they're all pollinators. And so here at St. James, we 
took part in that project and put in a garden specifically for pollinators, bees, mm-hmm. butterflies, etc. And it is amazing how many species of insects that have come that I've never seen before. Oh. So the intent was to have these pockets of gardens all over our diocese mm-hmm. so that as insects in their local area can find the food, they're, they're stronger, they're healthier. Right. And they will eventually come back in numbers. That's the hope. Yeah, and there is some power in that because you're talking about several communities. How many gardens were, were put in in the area? In the pilot project, 10. And uh-huh. they they were a variety of vegetable garden and flower garden and community garden. So not right. only were they intentional about making sure that the insects had food sources, but they were also growing food for local food banks and such. Yes, and I've noticed that just being in different cities, now I don't know what denomination it, it would have been, but I have noticed a couple of times where there was a vegetable garden in the yard of a church. And so that's maybe something that's catching on a bit too. I think that it's another area. I think we have to go back to producing more of our personal food. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I mean, environmentally consciousness would suggest that we always think local, which mm-hmm. is, again, another economic yeah. double-edged sword. Because, you know, you can't always get what you need or or perceive you need locally. Plus, then you've got uh, trucking industries and companies that depend on export and import and all of those things. So, again, it just adds another complex layer. But on an individual and daily basis, if we think about our food as something that we use, the majority of local food, it all will help eventually. Using local food, even packaging, right, is better for the environment. If we go Absolutely. locally and uh, and use a basket, sometimes things are packed in plastic or styrofoam. Even the packaging, producing local, is far better. And the other the other issue is, you know, there's been recalls on stuff that I had no idea could go bad, right? Like all kinds of things. And we're worried about the pesticides that are used elsewhere. And if I've grown it myself and I put it in a can even myself or I freeze it, at least I know. Um, you know where it came from. Yeah. yeah. And the local farmers' markets, we're really blessed here in this area with St. Jacob's and all yeah. kinds of farmers' markets that we can, if we choose to go to, to support our local growers. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have an opportunity to actually talk to the producer and, and ask them about their practices. Sure. Whereas when we go to the grocery store, we just trust that all of the things that the government has set up to protect us are in place. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in your gardens, did you grow milkweeds? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Tell our listeners why we would put milkweed in our gardens. <laughs> Milkweed has this wonderful nectar that feeds an awful lot of pollinators, but most especially our monarch butterflies. That's what milkweed is noted for. But each insect that lands on these plants feeds from it, gets the nectar from it, which helps sustain their little life, but also then the the pollen from that plant sticks to their little legs and gets spread all over the place. 
so that uh, without pollination, we don't have growth. Right? Mm-hmm. And what's very interesting for us here at St. James, or at least for me, is that down at the end of our road is a cornfield. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to have corn, you have to have the insects that are going to pollinate mm-hmm. each and every one of those. So mm-hmm. we've noticed that we do get a lot of unique little bees. There's a little green bee that I'd never seen before. And you do get wasps, of course, as well. People mm-hmm. are afraid of them. But they're important to to keep that circulation of pollen going, too. And the butterflies, of course, we've seen all kinds of butterflies. And we know that if we have a healthy little group of insects here, then just down the road in that cornfield, hopefully there will be as well. Mm -hmm. And these gardens, you know, when you think about the the pollination and our dependence on that, it's really symbolic of the interdependence that we have on nature. Absolutely. We are so part of creation that there isn't a part of creation that we can do without, uh, even our insects. Yes. We are so interconnected with the earth and with creation, and I, we forget that. We mm-hmm. forget that. Without the worms, we don't have dirt. <laughs> without right. the dirt, we don't have plants. You know, And it's just this huge cycle, and without the plants, we can't have any kind of life. So right. it's all important. And we have only a few minutes left. Linda, what message would you like to leave with our listeners? And perhaps there's a way they can help. What would you leave as your final thought? Well, I would just say that don't despair about the environment. There's always hope. We can do this together, together, pull together like we showed on Sunday with the faith groups. We can do anything if we work together. And Be educated, be aware, Mm -hmm. be conscious of the use of the things in your life, you know, and um, get back to that reduce, recycle, reuse attitude that we had in the the 80s. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we encourage people to take a look at that Toronto Star, Nancy White, Jobs, Justice, and the Climate. Google that and take a look at what happened at that event Mm -hmm. to be aware of that. And uh, we'd also ask our listeners to share the link to this show so that people can learn more about this issue and more about this coming together of like-minded people as well. Yes, and just just be aware and live well. And plant milkweed seeds. Plant milkweed, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I did plant some this year. Annetta brought them home to me, so I did get some uh, milkweed seeds. We kind of have been pushing them around here. So yeah. Great. Great. yeah, no, it, it is great. So thanks so much for being with us today, Linda. That was very interesting to know what went on on Sunday with the March, Jobs, Justice, and the Climate. So thanks so much for being with us. Well, thank you. It's been a delight. And thank it's you for always inviting fun. me. It's always fun. (laughs) (laughs) And we wish you well in your work, bringing awareness to the protection of the environment and the steps that people can take to help, as well as the win-win proposition represented by Jobs, Justice, and the Climate. And we'll look forward to hearing more from you at some time in the near future. Oh, well, thank you very much. This is Lynn Wedham. The show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Bye for now. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. We hope you'll join us next time. 
Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time.